What's up, everybody? Hello again, and welcome back to The Conscious Love Show. This is Shane, and I just wanted to take a moment to wish you a happy holiday season and extend a heartfelt thank you from myself and all of us here at the show. Thank you for listening in this year and showing your support. I want you to know that tuning into the show each week means the world to me, and I am immensely grateful for you taking time in your life to listen in. So whatever holidays you're celebrating this year, I want you to feel my love and appreciation for you being here and receiving this message right now. Thank you. Now, I know the holidays can be a particularly challenging time for so many of us. They have a way of highlighting things we feel are missing in our lives, especially the absence of a partner. Being around family can bring up so much from past trauma to frustration about being asked when you're going to meet someone. And nights alone can feel especially lonely in these colder months when you really want someone to snuggle up with. And I just want you to know that you're not alone, even when it feels that way. Right here, you have a community of people on a similar journey navigating these waters with you. And I want to invite you to lean into that this year. So if you'd like to join me and a community of amazing women who are healing and creating magic in their love lives, that is exactly what the Inspired Love Program is all about. I've shared a lot about it on the show over the years, and maybe you've thought about it but haven't gotten around to it yet. Well, while you're out there buying gifts for everyone else, I'd like you to consider that maybe this would be the perfect gift to give yourself to start the new year on the right foot and heal everything that is keeping love out of your life. So right below this podcast in the description, I'm going to leave the link to get started. It costs nothing to hop on a call with us and find out if this is right for you. So if you already enjoy the show, why not take the time to see if this program could be the thing that changes everything for you? Your future self will thank you. So thanks again for all the love and support you've shown us this year. I'm looking forward to many more to come, and I am beyond grateful to have you in this community. Thank you so much for being here. Sending you so much love. Happy holidays. Okay, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Conscious Love Show. Shane here with you. Pleasure to be here as always. And um, I'm really excited about today's topic. In I want to speak about how to create happiness. And I, I think this topic really applies to everybody everywhere, no matter who you are in all stages of your life, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship. Like I, I truly think this conversation applies to everyone because ultimately at the end of the day, it is always our responsibility to create our own happiness, right? There's, that is one thing that we can never delegate, right? That is one thing we can never pass off to someone else. I can never, can never say to my wife, like, honey, it's, it's your job to make me happy today. Right? The moment I start doing that is the moment our marriage starts falling apart. So there's this responsibility for all of us to create our own happiness. And there's actually a, a formula to do it. I've been reading the work of um, Arthur C. Clarke. I don't know, you probably haven't heard of him. Some of you may have. But who he is, is he is um, he's a Harvard professor who runs a study in Harvard on happiness. And he runs these massive research projects where, you know, they just research the lives of millions of people all around the world, all different types of life and demographics. And, and, you know, what the research is really about is they're really trying to find out the science of happiness, right? Chemically what's going on for people, circumstantially what's going on for people in terms of the choices people make in terms of like the lifestyle people live, like objectively speaking, what creates happiness? And the work is really fascinating. His work is really fascinating because what I've, what I've been finding out is there actually is a formula, right? There actually is a formula for happiness that we can all kind of tap into and become more happy. Um, 
you know, the, the research projects they've done with thousands and millions of people all over the world for many, many years have revealed that there are certain trends and certain practices and certain lifestyle choices and things that lead to happiness and certain that don't. There is an element of it that's, individu that's individual, right? There's an element of it that, you know, my happiness might be a little bit different from your happiness. But even in that, there are similar underlying principles that we can both rely on to find what's true for me, what's true for you. So really, really profound conversation. And for those of you who are dating single right now, if you're looking for love or in the dating world, um, I, I think this conversation is particularly potent because something that I, I've learned for myself, my wife, and so many of you know my clients and people I work with is that being happy as a single person is like so important, right? Like if you're if you're not happy as a single person, and I understand we all have feelings, we all go through ups and downs. Like I'm not saying you need to be chronically happy every second of every day, but if you're not generally happy as a single person, you're not really an invitation for someone to enter into a relationship with you, right? Your, your vibes are more like, leave me alone. So there needs to be a general happiness as a single person to be ready to invite love into your life. And as I was just saying earlier, you know, in a, the moment I start saying to my wife, like, it's your job to make me happy today is the moment our marriage starts to end, right? So it is just, it is so important that we each take a sincere interest in our own happiness and really understand the principles and like, like what creates happiness. Because something I've been learning as I've been researching this is that a lot of what we look to to create happiness, a lot of what we try to do to make ourselves happy is actually the very thing that's stealing our happiness. Like it, the, the efforts we make to try to make ourselves happy are largely making us unhappy. And so that's, I want to unpack all of this today because it's a huge conversation. But to start, I want to say this. If you want to be happy in life, the first thing you need to really accept and let in is that you can't be happy. Now, I know I love saying things like that, right? Because people go, what the hell did you just say? What I mean by that is that happiness cannot be a consistent experience in life. It's just impossible. It's just unrealistic. It just, it just never happens for anyone ever. And I think one of the fundamental assumptions that a lot of us live from that chronically leads to more and more unhappiness is that we feel that we should be happy all the time and when we're not, something has gone wrong. And so then any moment that we're not happy, we start questioning ourselves, we start judging ourselves, we start doubting ourselves, we start beating ourselves up, we start going, you have so much to be grateful for, why aren't you more grateful? And the, the first thing we need to do to truly be happy in life is accept unhappiness or maybe unhappiness isn't the right word, but accept the challenge of life, the struggle of life, the, the moments of sadness, the moments of fear, the moments of loss, the experiences of grief, accept those as a part of life. The moment you can accept those experiences and allow them as a part of your life, you instantly become more happier than the version of you that could not accept those experiences. Then the version of you, like, think about it like this. Let's say your mother or your father dies, for example. Like, in a moment like that, which is, unless you die before them, that's going to happen to everyone. 
In a moment like that, expecting yourself to be happy is just completely illogical and irrational. Like you're going through a life-defining traumatic loss that is like reshaping your whole view of life and yourself and the world. Like it, it just makes perfect logical sense that an experience like that would throw you off for a degree. And if you're going through the grief of something like that, the loss of a mother, father, the loss of a child, the loss of a partner, a divorce, even someone that you were dating for a few months and you got really excited about, right? But when you're grieving a loss in your life, expecting yourself to be happy is a little bit unrealistic. And when you're going through that process of grieving a loss, a lot of times we'll get a week or two into it and go, I should be over this already. Right? So there's this, there's this unwillingness to accept and allow the unhappy experiences of life. And that in and of itself makes us less happy than we could be. So that's the first thing I want to say is there's just got to be a willingness to accept and allow the ups and the downs, right? Like we're made of energy. We're made of energy. And when you, when you look at waves, which energy moves in waves, when you look at waves, waves have peaks and valleys, right? So I just talked about like grief, loss, losing your parent, losing your child, losing your partner. That's, that's some intense pain that we might go through. But there's also lesser versions of it. Like if you're on a big project at work and you have a deadline and there's a lot of pressure and you're under like stress to get it done, like in an environment like that, you're naturally going to tend to be a little bit less happy than when you're on vacation sitting in front of the pool, no worries, no problems, right? There's, there's a tendency for the stresses of life to bring down our moods. You know, if, if you're a parent, you wake up in the morning and your child is irate and crying and upset that's probably going to get your day off to a worse start than if your child was happy and pleasant and in a good mood, right? So there's just, there's just the awareness that in life, we are going to fluctuate. There's going to be peaks and valleys. We're going to go up and down. We're going to feel good some days. We're going to feel not so good other days. The awareness and the willingness to just allow that and accept that and be okay with that will automatically make you happier because it gives you the ability to move through the challenges of life gracefully rather than always being in resistance to them. Now, that's just kind of the first, first chip right there, right? Just, just first piece of the iceberg where it's like, okay, I've got to accept that unhappiness is going to be a part of it. I've got to allow fluctuations in my mood, fluctuations in my spirit, fluctuations in my motivation, fluctuations in my energy. And if I can give myself enough space to fluctuate around these things, I will automatically become happier. And I said earlier that you can't be happy, but you can be happier. And so you can't be happy as a chronic state that never changes. That's just impossible. It doesn't happen in life. But you can be happier. So you can experience happiness. You can experience happiness more consistently, more often, more regularly, more automatically. You can have your moments of sadness become shorter and shorter lived, have less and less power, hold like less and less like weight over you. You can move through them quicker, right? So you can't be happy in the ultimate sense, but you can be consistently more and more happier. And you can develop a relationship with the struggle, the challenge, or the unhappiness of life 
that allows you to move more easily and more frequently back to happy, grounded, peaceful experiences. So if we're talking about the science of happiness, and this is backed, if, if you read um, the book I've been reading by Arthur C. Clarke, is, uh, it, it was co-authored co by him and Oprah Winfrey. I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago on one of the podcasts, but um, it's called Build the Life You Want. And this guy is really brilliant. He'll tell you all about the neurochemicals in your brain that are released under certain conditions that elevate your mood or depress your mood. And I'm not going to be able to tell you about all of that. Um, I'll be able to tell you maybe a little bit of it. But, uh, but what I want to say is that there are, scientifically speaking, certain conditions we can create in our life that will allow us to release the proper neurotransmitters on a regular basis that lead to more feelings of happiness, ease, and peace in our lives. And most of us, and this is what I found so fascinating about this work, is that most of us are chronically engaged in activities that consistently release the neurotransmitters that lead to unhappiness. Some examples, scrolling on social media. Right? Studies show that chronic use of social media, scrolling on social media mindlessly, you know, if you're tuning into something like this, it might not be the same thing. But if you're just kind of scrolling mindlessly, that is an activity that studies show leads to chronic unhappiness. Um, I'll, get, I'll get to all the activities, but I want to I take, it, take it one step at a time here. So there are certain conditions in our brain that when we have certain lifestyle choices, we behave in certain ways, we create certain things in our relationships and so on, that we can consistently generate the feel-good chemicals in our brain. And there are certain habits, like I just used the example of scrolling endlessly on social media, that when we consistently engage in those habits, we consistently create the feel not so good chemicals in our brain, right? So there's actually a science to this. There's actually, we can look at how do I adapt my lifestyle, my choices, my habits, my behavior in a way that I consistently release feel good chemicals in my brain. And what am I doing currently more often than I need to that is consistently releasing the feel not so good chemicals in my brain. So I wanna talk about the, the three pillars to happiness, so to speak. And the first one is meaning and purpose, right? So meaning and purpose. Now, this largely involves service to others, right? This largely involves um, doing something bigger than yourself. Right, you've you've got to have a place in the world where you can share something from you that is valuable to other people. Right. So for example, this would be a great example, something I do for myself that makes me happy, right? Getting on here every Tuesday, taking a couple hours out of my day to share what I've been learning, to share what I'm inspired by, to share helpful things that are going to make other people's lives better. Right. That is that is something I do out of out of like a service to others that creates meaning and value for me in my life, right? Anywhere in your life that you are able to give value to other people is a place that you are going to experience more happiness, right? Any way you can create meaning, right? And, and purpose, right? Like, what am I here for? 
What am I meant to do? Why does it matter that I'm alive? Why do I even exist, right? Anywhere that you can create meaning and purpose in your life, it might come in your career. It might come as a parent. It might come as, um, it, it might come, uh, just, I don't know, I'm trying to think, draw a blank right now. It might come in volunteer work you do. It might come in, um, in the friendships you have, in the family relationships you have, right? So you can find this in all different areas, but like a sense that it matters that I'm here, right? Like I'm not just aimlessly here in the world, but it matters that I'm here. There's a meaningful purpose for my existence. I get up in the morning and I spend my life and my time engaged in activities that make me feel valuable, that make me feel meaningful, that make a positive impact on the lives of other people and the world as a whole. That is one essential key to happiness. If you don't have at least one of those places in your life or preferably several of those places in your life, then you will be, scientifically speaking, consistently less happy than you could be if you had that, right? Those are, those are like, I really want you to understand how profound this is, right? Like that scientifically speaking, thousands and thousands of dollars and hours have been spent researching millions of people to identify patterns that say consistently when people do this with their lives, they are happier. That's powerful, right? That's important. So what's, what's the second key to happiness? The second key to happiness is meaningful relationship and connection. Now, I want to I, I want to qualify this. Meaningful relationship and connection. Distinct from not meaningful relationship and connection, which we'll, we'll get to that. Actually, it's funny. Meaningful relationship and connection is one of the sources of happiness. Lack of meaningful relationship and connection. I don't mean being alone, but I mean spending your time with people in situations and relationships that are not meaningful for you, but you're doing it for their approval or because you want to fit in or because you want to get something from them actually chronically leads to unhappiness. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But first, meaningful relationship and connection leads to happiness. Now, the word meaningful as I just said, is a very powerful qualifier there. And the reason meaningful is such a powerful qualifier is because most of us don't need as much connection as we think we do. I read a statistic recently, and I can't say if this is an absolute fact, but I read the statistic that um, human beings can be perfectly happy spending about 78% of their time alone. That's eight, almost 80% of my time. Like, you know, eight out of 10, four out of five of my time can be spent alone and I can be perfectly happy. In that other 20%, what I'm looking for is not just someone to be around, but what I'm looking for are people who really light my soul on fire. And a lot of people, actually, if we speak about romantic relationships, a lot of people are in romantic relationships with people who don't light their soul on fire just because they can't possibly stand to be without a relationship. And then they need to somehow, even though their relationship is the thing in their life that actually drains the most energy from them, they have to somehow go out and form other relationships that are more meaningful. I mean, like, 
if, you're, if your partner isn't your best friend, you got to ask yourself, what are you doing? Why are you with that? Like, why are you even spending your time there? Right? Like, this is, this is the single most meaningful relationship of your entire life. It's the person you're going to see more than anyone else, interact more with any, than anyone else. Like, it's, it's going to be in front of your face all the time. If that person is not your best friend, like, what are you doing? It's a question you really got to ask yourself. And so when we look at meaningful connection, they've got to be, and it doesn't have to be romantic, by the way. I, I think the idea that it has to be romantic is one of the biggest misconceptions, is that our connection, me, our, our connection needs can be met with very high-quality, non-romantic connection. Now, I get it that when you're alone in bed at night, you might want some romantic connection. You might want someone to hold you and touch you and kiss you and all of that. And I understand your friends aren't necessarily going to meet those needs. But those aren't necessarily connection needs. Those are more like physical needs, intimacy needs. But I'm talking about your connection needs, your needs for community, your needs to be in relationship with other people, your need to be in conversation with people, right? Your need to be... Um, like involved with people in a meaningful way. That does not have to be romantic. That can actually, if you have really high quality friends, mentors, people you look up to, people who inspire you, people who you feel really good when you're around them, that's enough. And you can spend up to 80% of your time by yourself as long as that other 20% is spent with meaningful connections. Now, what does that mean? That means all the time you spend trying to fit in, trying to be accepted, trying to do this or that or the other thing to, to get connections that are not deeply enriching or meaningful, you can drop all of it. You don't have to perform for anyone's approval. Like that does not contribute to happiness. Actually, it contributes to unhappiness, which we'll talk about in a moment. Right, but like all this, like just take a moment, like just take a moment, take a, a mental inventory of all your friendships, all the people you see on a regular basis, all the people you spend time with. And ask yourself, how many of those people really like set your soul on fire? And if you're honest and, and you know, you may be one of the lucky ones, you may, you may just be surrounded with people who, who set your soul on fire. But if you're really honest and you're like most people, what you'll identify is that most of the people you see the, the interaction is not that meaningful for you. It's very surface level. It's very, hey, how, how's the wife and kids? Or how's the, you know, how's the boat? Or whatever. I don't know. It's probably, not, it's probably not great examples, but it's very surface, right? It's very, oh, what'd you do today? Oh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, how, how are things in your world, right? And even when we talk about our hobbies or our interests, like there's, there's a level of vulnerability that's withheld in that. Right? There's a level of like depth and authenticity that most of our relationships just never touch that. Like ask yourself, when was the last time you called up a friend and really like bared your soul to them and they actually heard you and cared what you had to say? When was the last time like you shared your, like your deepest hopes and dreams with someone 
in a vulnerable way. Not like in, not like in a way like I got this, I'm going to do it. Right. But like, but like vulnerably, like from your heart, like in, in my soul, like this is what I dream of. This is what I desire most deeply. Like when was the last time you shared that with someone and had someone actually listen and encourage that versus just being like, oh yeah, well, that's probably never going to happen. <laughs> nice, nice try. Nice dream. Right. Like think about this because most of our connections are very shallow very surface. They lack depth. They lack meaning. And having even just one or two really deep, solid connections can do wonders in terms of creating happiness. And again, those don't have to be romantic. Now, having that romantic partner can be a big part of it. And, and when, when you meet the right person and you have that relationship, it is a big part of it. But it's not essential. It's not necessary to happiness. So what's the third, uh, the third magic spell to happiness? The third magic spell to happiness is, magic spell isn't even the right word because none of these are magic spells. All of these involve hard work, right? But the third key to happiness, that's a better way to say it, third key to happiness is gratification for the effort you've put in over time. Meaning it's, meaning it's not instant gratification, right? Instant gratification creates unhappiness. But it's the gratification I get from putting my heart and soul into something over time, over the course of many years, over the course of many months, and seeing something that I built come to fruition. Right. Like th this is if you think about like watching your children grow up, those of you who have children, it's like people report watching. I, I'm not a father, but I plan to be soon. And people report like watching children grow up is one of the most gratifying experiences of their entire life. Now, that's not something that can happen in an instant. Right. Like there's no way you can make your child grow up faster than they're going to grow. So you've got to patiently wait and watch that child grow and pour yourself into that child every day and feed them and clothe them and bathe them and educate them and guide them and counsel them and take them to their sports and their activities and their friends' houses, right? Like you've got to pour yourself into this child every day for years. And then over time, seeing who that child becomes is one of the most gratifying experiences you will ever have in your whole life. Now, not everything takes, you know, 35 years to be gratifying. Um, you can be gratified in a matter of months when you work hard on something, when you do a project at work and you really give it your best and you see it come to fruition, right? Like there are, there are other ways you can get gratification, but the point is it's not instant gratification, right? It's something that you have to struggle with. It's something that creates challenge and you overcome challenge. You know, a lot of us lament our challenges in dating when we can't find the right partner or when, you know, we struggle and, and we, we lament our challenges in dating. But the only thing, maybe I shouldn't say the only thing, but one of the things that makes having that partner so worth it is everything you went through to get that partner right? Everything you lived through and overcame, right? So it's like even in dating and in romance, it's not about, it's not about, um, 
like just getting that partner, but it's about the journey to it. It's about pouring yourself into this dream every day and the manifestation of it coming to fruition and who you had to become in the journey to become the person who attracted that person, right? And, And that can be one of the most gratifying experiences of your life. But again, it didn't happen instantly. There was a lot that went into that. And so happiness, if you, if you think about the, the criteria I just gave, which um, one is having meaning and purpose. One is having deep, meaningful relationship and connection in your life. And one is having gratification over time right? For the, for the like overcoming obstacles and pouring your heart and soul into something and then having it come to fruition. Those are, those are really the three keys to happiness, right? By investing in those three things in our life, no matter who you are, you can consistently, like reliably create a a feeling of overall happiness in your life. Now, again, it doesn't mean it's, it's, never ending. It doesn't mean you never have moments of sadness or doubt or you don't, you know, the wave comes up and it comes down. There's fluctuations. But as you invest your time and your energy and your attention into these three domains of your life, you will become increasingly more and more and more and more happy. And the most important part of this is that is regardless of any external manifestation. It's regardless of if you're in a relationship or not. It's regardless of how much money you make. It's regardless of where you live. It's like regardless of any external condition. If you have meaning and purpose in your life, you have deep, meaningful relationships with other people, and you work hard at things over time for gratification rather than just wanting instant gratification, you will be happy. Now that is like so simple. It's like, It's like so ridiculously simple, but it isn't easy because every single one of those three things requires work. It requires effort and it actually requires you walking away from the things that make us unhappy. Someone dropped a comment earlier. I just want to read the comment because it really highlights the problem here. So let me find this comment. Um, this, This comment is from Angelou A., She says, most people necessarily pin their happiness on having a lover. You're right about that. And it's no wonder that so many people are unhappy. Like, I I really want you to think about this. Those of you who are single and dating right now, and those of you who think that when you meet someone, you're going to like suddenly be happy. Like, I, I really want you to think about this. It's not that like you've never met anyone before. I mean, maybe some of you, but for most people, it's not the case. Most of you have met people. Most of you have been in relationships. You've been in relationships and then out of them and then in them again and then out of them and then in them again and then out of them. And every time something was wrong, something didn't work right. And you told yourself, this just isn't the right relationship. And once I find the right relationship, then I'll be happy. But you keep looking and keep finding the wrong relationship and keep saying, well, when I find the right relationship, I'll be happy. But that right relationship never really shows up. Why? Because the common denominator is you. Because happiness does not come from a relationship. If you are unhappy and you bring unhappiness to a relationship, you are going to make the other person unhappy and they're going to leave you. It is your responsibility to create happiness within yourself. 
And if you're single, it's your responsibility to do that without a partner. Now, if you're in a relationship and you're miserable, well, maybe you're lucky and maybe you're unlucky at the same time. Because one, you're lucky that you're not alone in this. Two, you're unlucky and that you have way more work to do on this than if you were single. Because it's way more challenging to do within a toxic relationship dynamic than it is to do when you're on your own. But whether you're single or whether you're in a relationship, happiness is your responsibility. It's not something that a relationship will give to you. It's something you create inside of yourself. Now, I just went over the, I just went over the three keys to happiness, right? The three things that if you invest your time, your effort, your energy in these three things, you will scientifically, backed by research, be consistently more and more happy. So there are four things that take away from happiness. Money, power, pleasure, and fame. Now, I want to talk about each of these a little bit because some of that might even sound counterintuitive. Now, I want to, I want to be clear. When I say money takes away, from, takes away from happiness, I'm not saying money is bad because money is an interesting one. Money is actually needed to be happy to a degree, but money cannot buy happiness. So let's, just, let's talk about each of these, money, power, pleasure, and fame, and how each of these might look and how all of us, to some degree, are selling out our happiness to one of these four things every single day. So, money, power, pleasure, and fame. We'll start with money. Money is an interesting one, as I said, because you do need some amount of money in order to be happy, at least in, in the way our world is now. Now, if you lived in a tribal society or an earthship community or something, that might not be necessary. But for most of us who live in this society, money is essential to be happy. But at the same time, money can't buy happiness. So how do we, how do we deal with this? There's a, there's a metric um, that, I, I don't know if it came from Harvard or somewhere else, but there was a metric, I think it did come from Harvard. They, they did a study on how much money does someone actually need to be happy? And at what point does enough money reach a certain point where you can no longer buy any more happiness with it? And in the U.S., I, I, it was somewhere around like $60,000. Now, this was probably 20 years ago, adjusted for inflation, it's probably around $100,000 now. But but something something along those lines, right? So if you say, you know, you make around 100 grand or so, um, or maybe it's less than that, maybe it's a little more than that, I don't know the exact number. But there's a certain number at which you have enough money to where you can buy all the happiness that money can buy. What do I mean by that? I mean, you can live in a comfortable house. You can drive a nice enough vehicle. You have food in your belly every day. You know, you can make good meals for yourself. You have general comforts, the ability to sit on a couch, watch television, things like that. You have um, the ability to maybe travel a little bit, vacation, you know, do extracurricular stuff that enhances your life and your well-being. You, um, Am I missing anything? I mean, I think that's generally most of it, right? So if you have enough money to generally sustain all of those things, that's all the happiness you can buy. Getting two, three, four, five, six cars is not going to make you more happy. Buying seven houses is not going to make you more happy. Moving from a single family home to a mansion is not going to make you happy. 
Okay, watching your bank account grow and grow and grow and grow and going, ooh, look at all the money I have like Scrooge McDuck. It's not gonna make you happy. So yes, there is a certain amount of money that's needed to afford a certain ease of life, a certain amount of comforts that you can just have a baseline. But then beyond that, the pursuit of money starts to make you unhappy. Now, this is really, really interesting because so many of us, like if you grew up like me, like I grew up in poverty, right? And so I didn't have money. And so for me, like anytime I got money, it made me really happy because I didn't have any. And so my blueprint around money as a child was that like, I need money to be happy. And so I, I wanted to get like money and money and money and more money and more money and more money in order to be happy, right? Once I reached a certain point, as I said, where I was able to afford, uh, I was able to afford a certain comfort in life, the pursuit of money only created more suffering, right? Like once, once I got to a point where my basic needs were met, pursuing money beyond that point only made me unhappy. It only created stress. It only created anxiety. It only had me comparing myself to the other person going, how much money did they make this year? Did I make that much? What's wrong with me? Why aren't I enough as them? right? Those are the kinds of things, those are the kinds of thinking and habits and perspectives and viewpoints that lead to unhappiness. Living in the rat race, comparing myself to other people, wanting what I don't have, saying, well, they have that. Why don't I have that? You know, they, they have a Ferrari. Why don't I have a Ferrari? Like those kinds of things lead to unhappiness. Trying to keep up with the neighbors, trying to, you know, have the latest fashion or the most expensive clothes or like trying to Trying to keep up in a world of superficiality and trying to have more and more money in order to do that leads to a cycle of consistent unhappiness. You're chasing something that has no real value. Because again, like what, what value does money really afford? Like if, if we want to judge things based on value, what value does money really afford? It affords the ability to have some comforts and some experiences. Like, like that is what money is for. Money is not something to be stored away in heaps and piles to save just in case something bad happens. That's fear. That's fear that does that. That's I'm not going to be provided for. I'm going to be left alone. I don't live in an abundant universe, right? Like that's fear that does that. What money is really for is to pay bills is to, again, provide certain comforts for myself and my family and to allow myself to have certain experiences. If I am having the comforts I want to have and having the experiences I want to have in life, I don't need more money than that. So that's the first one. The first one is money. The second one is power. Wielding power. Now, this one is so interesting, especially in my work, when I work with people in, in romance and dating, because so many people in the dating world are not looking for love. They're looking for power. We want to have power over someone. We want to be desirable to people in a way that gives us power over them. We want to be desirable to many people. 
but we want to be desirable to many people, right? We want to, we want to like collect all these people around us. Like, look how many people want me. And we want to pull the strings and play the games. And, oh, well, this person is waiting to hear my call back and all, all this stuff, right? Wielding power. You know, in my work, in and what I specialize in, for those of you who are unaware, is I specialize in having people get into healthy, long-term, committed relationships. It's, I, I do a few different things, but 90% of what I do is that. I help people get into healthy, long-term, committed relationships. One thing I have found to be a fundamental truth about creating a healthy, long-term, committed relationship is that if you want to play these power games, you will never have it. If you want to play these manipulative power games, having the upper hand, wielding power over other people, having people be into you, like if, if you want to wield those power games, you will never, ever have a healthy relationship. Because those power games actually create a lack of vulnerability that is essential to have in a healthy relationship. So to some degree, you've got to release the power. You've got to release the control. You've got to release the manipulation. You can't rely on that. You can't hide behind that. You can't try to maintain the upper hand. It's going to keep love out of your life and it's going to keep you miserable. You're chasing an empty win. You're chasing an empty like an empty dream. There's, there's no, like, what do you get out of that really? Like, think about that. What do you get out of wielding the power? All you do is boost up your own ego. What do you go talk to your friends about it and laugh? What does that really do for you? Meanwhile, you go to bed alone every night or you have cheap hookups that don't amount to anything and it doesn't like fulfill you. What does playing those power games really offer you in your life? And if you're honest, you'll see it offers nothing. But letting go of that power, letting go of that control, letting go of that need to have the upper hand and actually coming down from that and meeting someone on a level and being vulnerable and intimate with them. Now you're talking, now you're alive. Now you're really having something real happen. Instead of just hiding behind these power games and tooting your own horn about how awesome you are while you're really alone, even if you're surrounded by people because you're popular and all that, who really knows you? And underneath it all, you're completely alone in life because you're never vulnerable enough to truly be experienced by another person. That's what happens when we become addicted to power. Now, pleasure. Pleasure is a big one. And to a degree, I think we could say pleasure could kind of encapsulate all four of these. Because when we talk about pleasure, what we're really talking about are those hits of dopamine, right? When we, when we have an activity that just triggers those hits of dopamine in our brain. And so, I mean, making money can do that. Having wielding power can do that, right? So, so what we're really talking about here is these are all, in a way, different kinds of pleasure. But pleasure is something we do to trigger, uh, let me put it this way. Earlier I talked about how one of the keys to happiness is working towards something over, over time and actually bringing about the result, 
right? The manifestation of the result over time, pouring your heart into something, that's a key to happiness. Pleasure is the exact opposite of that. Pleasure is instant gratification. Pleasure is getting the gratification of something that didn't require anything from you. You didn't have to put anything into it, but you got the reward anyway. It's like when, um, it's like when they give kids participation ribbons, right? What are you teaching kids that you don't have to perform? Now that can be a good lesson in some respects, but when we start encouraging, when we start encouraging the, uh, the, the lack of putting your heart into something is when it becomes toxic. Right? Teaching children that, yes, you're worthy whether you win or lose, that's a good lesson. Teaching them that they don't need to pour their heart and soul into something is a very bad lesson because they're going to have a very bad life if they don't learn that. But the instant gratification. So what are things we do for instant gratification? Um, substances, drinking, out, you know, alcohol, marijuana, things like that. Hits that dopamine trigger in our brain. Boom. We get, the, we get the euphoric feeling without having to earn it, without having to do anything for it, right? Similar to, you know, if I, if I pour my heart and my soul into a project at work for months and then and my whole team's on it and we're working on it and we're killing it and then we finally see it come to fruition and we get to sit back and see, and see it come together and we go, we did that. And that feels really good. But when I, you know, smoke some pot, it's like, oh, I feel really good. And you know what? I didn't have to do anything for that. Chronic use of things like that over time lead to unhappiness. They lead to unhappiness. They lead to unfulfillment. Right? Sex. If we're talking about um, science and research here, this might, this might upset some of you, but I'm just saying what the science says. So get mad at the science, not me. Research shows that people who have one consistent sexual partner over the course of a year are happier than people who have many. Now, I understand not everybody's in a position to have that right now, and it's okay. It's okay to be wherever you are. But when we, like most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, and I understand not everyone is honest, but most of us, when we're honest with ourselves, we feel deeply that we would, we would love to have like that one person to share our lives with. Now, there are people who feel differently. That's okay. They're, they're able to feel however they feel. I don't have an opinion about that. But I think largely, a majority of us feel that like we would, we would love to have that one person to spend our lives with. And creating that, right? Creating that solid, healthy, committed relationship with that one person is not an easy task. I mean, you know that. I don't need to tell you that. You wouldn't be here if you, if you didn't know that, right? So you know that. That's not an easy task. And sometimes what we do, because of the frustration of not being able to find that person, because of our loneliness for different reasons, we just go and, and sleep with random people just to make ourselves feel better. And once again, it's that instant gratification right? It's that instant gratification. I'm getting the payoff, the benefit of, of sleeping with someone without the work being put in to building the emotional relationship with them that would make the sex more fulfilling. This is another research-based idea is that 
sex is more fulfilling when it's with someone you have a deep emotional connection with versus someone you barely know. Now, if that pisses you off, again, this is just based on research. So the sex is so much better when I've put the effort in with that person to build that deep emotional connection, and then we get the payoff by having sex with each other. When I try to get the payoff without doing the work first, that leads to unhappiness, right? It's another, it's another empty high. I go, I, I, I'm with the person, it's amazing, we have a great night together. The next day I go home, and I'm even more reminded of how alone I am than before I was with that person. Right? It leads to chronic unhappiness. So um, just s- some other examples. I-, I mentioned this earlier, but like scrolling on your iPhone, like when you're on social media, I, like me personally, I work on social media, right? This is my job, but I only use it for work. I-, I don't do it. I don't connect with family on social media. I don't do anything on social media other than use it for work. And the reason for that is because I have seen in myself how unhappy it makes me. Like when I, and let me be clear, I say I never do, sometimes I do. So I'd say I rarely do. And every now and then I will find myself just for whatever reason, maybe I got on there to do a work thing and then I got distracted. Now maybe I'm just in a particularly low mood or less motivated or whatever that day. And I find myself scrolling on social media. When I've been scrolling for more than like a minute or two, I can just feel the life being sucked out of me. Because what's actually happening chemically in your brain is like every, every post, every new flashy thing in front of you is like triggering releases of dopamine. And then that makes your body go, I wonder what the next post is. I wonder what the next post is. I wonder what the next post is. And so you just keep scrolling to see what's next. And every new post gives you another hit of dopamine, another hit of dopamine. And then what starts to happen within five minutes of being on social media, like your brain is exhausted. Chemically, you've exhausted yourself. Your your life energy has been like depleted in five minutes of scrolling. Why? Because that's creating pleasure, but not happiness. Right? There's pleasure in every new post, every flashing thing, seeing someone do a dance, you know, seeing, oh, here's here's a useful tip. Oh, that, that makes me feel good. And boom, it's just like constant hits of dopamine. So... That's an example. I mean, money, food, sex, drugs, alcohol, social media. These are all, these are all ways of getting pleasure, but not happiness. And what you could start to see, like, I'm, I'm not, look, I'm not here to tell anyone to stop doing anything. You do whatever you want. I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't have a moral opinion on what you do or don't do. You can do whatever you want. But what I would encourage you to do if you're open to an exercise, is make a note of every activity you do for pleasure. So maybe just in a day, if you want to just throughout the course of a day, make a note of every activity you do for pleasure. Now, I want to be clear when I say this. When I say pleasure, I'm talking about like cheap thrills, right? Like uh, things you didn't have to put any work into but still got some gratification. So things that didn't require you to put your heart or your soul into anything, but you still got gratification from it, right? Watching television, again, social media, drugs, alcohol, whatever. But start to look, start to look at the places 
in your life where you do things for pleasure and just start to identify them. Okay, every night I watch TV for pleasure. Every night I scroll social media or, or, you know, or, or dating apps. Dating apps are another one. Constant hits of dopamine, right? And I'm not telling you to stop doing those things. But I want you to just take a moment to check in as you're doing them and ask yourself, how happy am I right now? And then start to notice when you're in the other three criteria, right? Living purpose, doing things that are purposeful, service to others, when you are having meaningful connections, friendships, when you are working hard at something that that means something to you and you're experiencing the gratification of that over time, just check in and say, how happy am I right now? If If you're curious enough to just inquire about that, to just explore what's there and see what's there, you'll intuitively find, like, again, you don't have to take my word for it, just try it out and see. You will intuitively find that you are happier when you are living according to those three keys of happiness versus these four uh, forms of pleasure. Now, last one, fame. And I want to talk about this one just because especially today, especially with social media, it is probably the most toxic of the four, is this idea of fame. And, you know, fame is not what it used to be where it was only for celebrities and it was only for, right? Social media has made fame available to everyone. And I think this is something that we can all fall into, even if you have no audience, even if you have no following, you know, just look at when you put up a post, even if you only get, you know, somewhere between five and 10 likes, when you put up a post and get five likes, do you get a little disappointed about it versus when you put up a post and it gets 10 likes. You go, oh, that one did great, right? That's fame. People like me, right? Being, uh, this can happen like at work in terms of like being the top performer at work. It can happen in your circle of friends, being the one everyone turns to, right? Like this can happen in so many ways, but this is about popularity. It's about approval of others. It's about people liking you. It's about people liking what you post on social media. It's about all, all of this, right? Fame. And maybe a better word for fame that would apply to more of us is approval, right? Like me, validate me, pay attention to me, tell me that I'm good enough. Now, again, same with the other ones we've talked about. It gives you those momentary hits of dopamine. Oh, you like me? Oh, good. I'm good enough. They like me. Oh, I I look nice today? Oh, I'm good enough. I look nice. Oh, I performed well? Oh, I'm good enough. I performed well, right? All of these things are giving you little hits of dopamine. Oh, you like my post on social media? Great, I put good things on social media. I'm, I'm good enough, right? All of this are giving you these little hits of dopamine, making you feel momentarily better. But the thing about, the thing about chasing pleasure in any of these forms is that the satisfaction is very short-lived and it leaves you craving more, right? It's like social media. Like, like nobody gets on social media, looks at two posts and says, oh, I feel great. You know, that, that, really, that really set me for the day, my two social media posts of the morning. <laughs> nobody says that, right? Because that's not what social media does. It is designed to keep you wanting to see one more post. Dating apps are the same way. Like, Like some of you spend way too much time on dating apps. Like in my program, when I coach people, I say limit it to 30 minutes a day, no more. Like do not spend more than 30 minutes a day on dating apps. And honestly, I'd say the same rule for social media. 
Like if you spend more than like that minimal amount of time just to do what needs to be done, all you're doing is making yourself unhappy. All you're doing is chemically exhausting your brain. And like the interesting thing about dopamine is dopamine, it's, it's evolutionary function is motivation. And so in a healthy way, like dopamine is there to reward us for good acts and make us want to do more of them. Because our society is so, I don't know if hedonistic is the word, but because our society is the way it is, whatever attribute you want to give to it, we have curated, I mean, it's really about consumerism when you think about it. Like the reason we curate things like television and social media to give people these hits of dopamine is to keep them addicted so we can sell things to them, right? Like that's what it's all about. It's about consumerism. Because our society is so focused on consumerism, we've made so many like cheap hits of dopamine available to people. And people being the way we are, it's it's not really a fault of our own, but we're kind of like animals and we're driven by instinct in a lot of ways. And so because we are animal-like and we are driven by instinct, when we find something and we're unaware, we're unconscious of this stuff, we're just running on our instinct and we find something that gives us hits of dopamine, we're going to want to do it more, right? I remember like being a kid and like playing, getting into video games and, and like sitting in school and thinking like, oh my God, I cannot wait to get home and play video games. Why? Because I had just found something that was triggering dopamine in my brain in a way that I had never experienced before. And it took over my consciousness. It was all I could think about. It was all I wanted to do. Like I wasn't choosing that. That was happening to me based on the stimulus that got me addicted to it. And I was too young and uneducated and immature to really understand what was happening to me. So this is, this is happening all the time, right? Every, every time you get a hit of dopamine from the television, from the news, from like whatever it is, like it, it's, it's triggering your motivation centers to make you want to do more of that. So the only way out of this whole pleasure trap that I'm talking about here is to start to make conscious choices. Start to create conscious like boundaries for your mental health around things like dating apps, social media, television, and so on, right? And, and then start to choose in the absence of those things, start to choose the activities that are in alignment with the three keys to happiness that I spoke about earlier. This is going to make you reliably and consistently happy. So I want to tie all of this together because what we've done today is we've talked about three keys to happiness and four, we'll call them false idols. We'll call them things that we look to for happiness, but they don't actually give us happiness, right? So the three keys to happiness are one, um, meaning and purpose, service to others, doing things that give you meaning, doing things that reinforce your value, right? When I, when I show up here on Instagram to do this podcast every week, I am doing something of value. You are getting value from it and I am delivering value. 
Now, what that does to me subconsciously is that teaches me that I have value. So you've got to find places in your life where you can show up and give value and others can receive it. And that'll subconsciously reinforce to you that you are valuable and that'll make you happy. You've got to have meaningful connection. People you share your heart with, people you share your dreams with. This does not have to be romantic. People think, people think romance is a prerequisite for happiness. Based on research, it's not. Like, I, I really, I know this is such a mindfuck because we have been brainwashed into thinking that having a romantic relationship equals happiness. And I really want you to understand, based on scientific research, people can be perfectly happy without one. That doesn't mean it's not valuable. That doesn't mean it's not worth striving for. That doesn't mean it's not something you want to put your heart and soul into and go create it. I'm happily married. It's amazing. I love it, right? Like it's worth it, but it's not a prerequisite for happiness. But meaningful connection is relationships where you see them and they see you where you receive each other, where you love each other, where you support each other, where it's not transactional. You're not doing it to get something from each other. You're doing it because of the friendship. You're doing it because you love each other. Having at least a couple of relationships like that in your life is essential to being happy. If you don't have at least one or two of those relationships, you will not be happy. The third key, as I've spoken about in depth here, Gratification over time, pouring your heart and soul into something and having it come to fruition. This is the creative process. This is using your creative ability, right? I think like we're made in the image of likeness in God. We're all creators in training, right? One of the keys to happiness in life is to be creative, is to put your heart and soul into something and to have that thing manifest. It's one of the keys to happiness. Now, the four false idols, the four things that we look to for happiness that don't actually bring it, as I've talked about, are money, power, pleasure, and fame. Money, power, pleasure, and fame. Now, this is the crux of the whole issue. And by the way, I'm going to take questions in a moment. If anyone wants to drop your questions in, I'm going to take questions in just a moment. This is the crux of the whole issue. The things that lead to happiness are things that we feel are challenging, are things that make us uncomfortable, are things that involve a fair amount of pain, right? Like, you know, if if you think about like pouring your heart and soul into a project over time and seeing it come to fruition, there's a lot of pain involved in that. Right? This is why I say you can't be ultimately happy 100% of the time because the pursuit of your happiness requires you dealing with your pain. So things that bring true happiness involve struggle, challenge, discomfort, uncertainty, pain. Right? Creating meaningful relationships involves some pain. Like, Let me tell you, the, having the relationship I have with my wife today has involved a lot of pain. It just comes with the territory. You don't have the kind of relationship we have without dealing with some uncomfortable stuff. The things that create happiness involve challenge, hard work, pain, suffering, discomfort. 
Meanwhile, these four idols chasing money, power, pleasure, and fame don't require much work, right? Like they don't require much effort. They're, they, don't, they don't involve any discomfort. They don't, they don't challenge us. They don't make us greater. They don't cause us to bring forth more of ourselves. They just keep us where we are. And most of us are way more engaged in these four idols than we are in these three keys to happiness. And we have a society that reinforces this, that encourages this. You know, like being a workaholic is one of like the, the most toxic things that's happening in our world right now. And it's, it's like one of the most harmful addictions. Like when someone is a workaholic, like their family and their children suffer so much. And yet our society rewards workaholism. That's just an example of how these idols, you know, whether it's about money, whether it's about approval and fame, right? But, but how these idols like promise us something of value, but really don't give us anything we really want. Happiness is, is quite simple. It's available for everyone. And it doesn't even require most of the things that you think you need to be happy. Right? Most of us think we need mountains of money and lots of attention. And you don't need all of that to be happy. But what happiness does require is for you to block out a lot of the noise, to stay in your zone, to be clear about your truth, and to put your heart and soul into it every single day. And to be okay with the fact that pain is a part of the process, which I talked about first. And that's available to everyone. And what I really want to say here, especially for those of you who are seeking love right now, and I know it's a lot of you, if not all of you, right? But those of you who are seeking love right now, what I really want you to understand is the fastest path to love is through those three keys. Like you, you put 100% of your time, your effort, and your energy into those three keys. Working them, developing them. Let go of these idols, right? These four idols over here. Let go of them. Just stop investing in them. You know, if you want to sit down and watch TV at night, that's fine. Like you can... You can have some pleasure in your life. I'm, I'm not saying to completely remove all pleasurable things from your life. But what I'm saying is stop investing in that. Stop prioritizing that. Prioritize these three keys. Put your heart and soul into it every day. And what'll start to happen is you will start to become someone who stands out among people. Because you will have a, an energy of lightness and ease and joy that most people don't have. 
and that will become wildly attractive. Especially, and, and here's the thing, like because there are people in the world that are living their life according to these three keys. And these are the people that I would say are, are probably very high value people, right? They're the people you want to end up in a relationship with. And the interesting thing is, is that the people who live according to these three keys are looking for someone else who also does, whether they know it consciously or not. And so when you don't live in alignment with these three things, you're basically setting yourself up to only attract relationships that would be unfulfilling. And the opposite is also true. When you truly live according to these three keys and you make your life about these things, you ultimately attract someone who does the same. You ultimately retract a, a very high value, high quality relationship. And, you know, I think one of the most, one of the most uh, insidious things here is that, you know, when we're chasing people's approval or we're trying to get people to like us or we're doing all the stuff that we know we're not supposed to do in dating, but we do it anyway, we think we're finding what we're looking for. We think we're finding what we're looking for. But really, we're just exhausting ourselves. So the three keys, once again, the three keys are purpose and meaning, service to others, doing something of value in the world. Deep, real, meaningful connection with other human beings. It doesn't have to be romantic. It just needs to be deep, real, meaningful connection with other human beings. And the last thing is gratification for your effort over time. Meaning you stay away from instant gratification. You stay away from those things that you can get gratification for doing nothing. And you only receive gratification from things you actually worked for, from things you actually poured your heart into. These are the secrets to happiness. Align your life with those three things and you will be happy based on science and research. Okay, I'm gonna take some questions. Go ahead, drop your questions in the chat. I saw, um, I saw a couple come in already. I'm gonna start with those. And then any other questions, just go ahead, drop them in the chat. From Catherine, Catherine's asking, what ways of spending time with friends would promote the type of connection you call pouring your heart and soul? That's a, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. So question is, what types of activities qualify as like the high quality connection I'm talking about, right? So, I mean, I, I think like we don't need to overthink this one. We really don't because like, yes, I mean, part of it could be like you have those friends that if you, if you need to talk about something, you need to like pour your heart out. Like they're there, they're lis they'll listen, they want to hear, they care, right? So you need to have people in your life that you have that quality of relationship with. That doesn't mean you have to be pouring your heart out to them 24 seven, right? So like I have, I have several friends in my life that I know without a doubt, I could call, it's funny enough, one of them actually called me while we were sitting here talking, funny enough, I'll have to call him back. But, but I have like, I have several friends in my life. I'd say probably five, if not 10, let me, let me think. I'm not gonna count them all right now. But, but I have like maybe five to 10 friends in my life that I know 
they care about me, they love me, they respect me, they appreciate me. If I needed them, I could call them and they would be there. Now, it's, it's not a lot. I mean, honestly, it's probably closer to five than it is to 10. It's not a lot of people, but they're there. Now, some of my happiest memories are being with these people, right? Like I remember um, for my wife and I's wedding, our wedding was canceled because of uh, the pandemic. And so a few months later, we ended up eloping with a group of our friends in Montana and we did like a seven day retreat. And then our wedding was at the end of the retreat. And it was like everyone there, most of the people there were like our closest friends. There were a few people that we didn't know as well, but most of the people there were our closest friends. We spent seven days together hiking in Montana. We had a wedding, like one of my, one of my happiest memories. Of course it was my wedding, but it wasn't just about the wedding. It was about the entire week that we spent with these people. Right. I, I, like some of my other happiest memories are just like having a cookout on the back porch and just like all my friends being there and like cooking together and eating together and like jumping in the pool, swimming together. Right. Like so it doesn't have to be that you're sitting and pouring your heart out every second of every day. Right. It doesn't have to be like that. But you want to have people that you could if it were needed. You want to have relationships that it could be that way if it were needed. And. When I talk about high quality connection leading to happiness, what I'm talking about is the time spent with those people, the memories you create with them. You know, we have a, we have a friend of ours, her name's Jessie. She's uh, a best friend to myself and my wife, so we share that friendship. And she's just one of the most beautiful people we know. We, we adore her, every ounce of her being. She's just the most amazing person. And every couple of months, she comes up here, she lives in Florida, she comes up to New Jersey and she spends a weekend with me and my wife. And we go out to eat and we, we go to farms and wineries and, and we just have a great time together, right? Some of my happiest memories are like when she comes to visit. So those are examples of like deep, meaningful connection. So, you know, you don't have to be pouring your heart out all the time, but you need to be able to. And the most important thing is to be with these people, creating memories, right? Building, spending time, you know, at least, I mean at least a few times a year. And, and I say at least like pretty drastically, right? Like once a month would be ideal, I think. But you know, at least a few times a year. Um, okay, so thank you for the question, Catherine. Beautiful question, beautiful question. Um, all right, I'm gonna take this question from Miss Ways. She says, how do you cope with disappointments? Awesome question. And a very relevant question, I, I think too, you know. Because disappointments are part of it. And especially if you're living in alignment with the three keys to happiness that we're talking about, right? Like you're going you're gonna to experience a lot of disappointment living in alignment with the three keys to happiness. So how do you cope with disappointment? Well, first, just mentalizing yourself for it, right? Like this was what I started with today was the way to be happy. The, the first thing to do to be happy is to recognize that you can't be happy all the time, right? Like that's that's like a similar idea here where one of the best ways to deal with disappointment is just to recognize and accept that disappointment is a part of the journey. You're gonna be disappointed, right? You know, if, if you're pouring your heart and soul into things and you're getting gratification out of that, there are gonna be times when you pour your heart and soul into something and it doesn't come out the way you want it to. And that's going to be disappointment, 
right? You know, if you're trying to build really authentic, meaningful connections, you're going to be rejected sometimes. And that is just, that's going to be disappointing, right? So disappointment is part of it. And, you know, when you talk about how to cope with it, I mean, I think a lot of it is, a lot of it is mental because when, when you, when you distill, when you distill uh, disappointment down to what it actually is, it's a feeling. It's just a feeling, right? Like it's, it's just a, a feeling. It comes and it goes. And so the feeling is not really a problem. The feeling just comes and then it goes. The problem is what we do to it mentally what we make it mean about ourselves. Oh, well, I spent months working on that project and it didn't pan out. I must be fucking worthless, right? Oh, I was vulnerable with that guy and he didn't reciprocate my feelings. I must not be lovable, right? There must be something wrong with me. Relationships never work out for me, right? So what we do is we experience disappointment and then we give it a meaning about us and that makes it painful. And the, I think the misguided belief system under that is that like, if I was good enough, I would never fail. And that's just BS. I mean, we all fail. And even failure is like a a misguided term because it's more about like, it's not really a failure. It's just a, a learning lesson. It's just a, it's just a step along the way. You know, there are ups and downs along the way to the ultimate goal, but there's no real failure unless you quit. So I I think like this idea that we should never fail or never have a setback or never have to learn something or never struggle is what leads to the intensity of disappointment versus understanding it as a part of the process. Like, look, you know, if, if we talk about love in your journey to love, I can make you some promises unless you're just a wild exception. Okay. You're going to go in and out of relationship with at least a handful of people, if not more right? You're going to have several different boyfriends and girlfriends, and you're going to learn different things from each of them. That's just going to happen, right? If you, if you look at the ending of a relationship as a failure, oh, well, if I was better, it would have lasted. If I was better, it would have worked. If I was lovable enough, they would have stayed, right? If you look at the ending of a relationship as a failure, you're not really receiving the lesson that it has to offer you. And the lesson is that, hey, you know, reflect on this, Learn from your mistakes, see what worked, see what didn't, improve yourself and bring that to the next relationship, right? Accepting that as a part of the journey on the front end makes it much easier to deal with it when it happens. Living under the asinine assumption that I'm going to meet someone, we're going to fall in love, live happily ever after, and it's going to work out magically. I mean, like, that's an asinine assumption. It happens to almost nobody. So, so like to think that it would happen for you, it's like, it's like thinking you're going to get some super rare, deadly disease. Like, why would that happen to you? I mean, it could happen theoretically, but why would it? Right. So, so it's, it's the same kind of thing is like, you're accepting it's part of the process and being able to flow with the process is going to do a lot for decreasing your disappointment. Now, if you can take all the mental energy off of it, so the judgment, the meaning, the blame, the this shouldn't have happened, this is wrong, if it should have gone this way instead, if if you can take all of that off of it, all of the mental meaning you give to it, and you can just experience the 
pure disappointment for what it is. It's simply just a fluctuation of energy, right? I was excited about this person. My hopes went up and then it didn't work out and my hopes went down. It's just a fluctuation of energy. The relationship brought you up here and then it brought you down here. And then, you know, a couple months from now, you'll meet someone else, you'll go back up here and then they won't text you within two hours and then you'll go back down here, right? And that's just the process. It's just what happens when you're human. So what do you do? You accept the process and then you're just dealing with some feelings around it. Now, there, there is an art to dealing with feelings and that's a, a whole other topic I'm not going to get into right here. But to, to simplify it, I would say you, you really just got to feel into it in your body and allow it to be there. And I have other podcasts that go into that in more detail. But for today's, for today's topic, I, I just say simply that, you know, you really just want to be with the feeling, feel into it, allow it to be there, let it move through you. It'll last for a week or a day or a month or whatever, but it'll pass and life will go on. All right. Thank you. Awesome question. Uh, thank you so much for asking. Uh, this is from Soloyeva. She says, it's sometimes hard to tell apart if I'm sharing to reveal something about my life authentically or to engineer other people's perceptions of you. Oh, this is a cool one. Cool question. Very insightful, by the way, too. Um, it's hard to tell apart if you're sharing something to reveal about your life authentically or to engineer other people's perceptions. And I get that. And and I'd say like, you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I think when we're young, we develop the ability to kind of orchestrate other people's perception of us so naturally and it becomes so ingrained because like our survival literally depends on it, right? Like as a child, like I look at the way my dog looks at me, right? And it's it's so interesting. Like he's just he's just always watching me everywhere I go. If I if I if I'm sitting in the living room, he's just watching me. And if I walk to the kitchen, he's just watching me. And and he'll even like just sit if like we're cooking at night, he'll just sit right there and watch me and my wife and he'll just look back and forth, right? And he's like he's like so attuned to us. And he's so tuned in to like every movement we make, every word that we say, every like he's so attuned to all of it. And and then he responds like the slightest shift in tone or or like movement, like he just he's like what? He he just responds. Well, children are like that too, especially before we really learn how to talk and before we really learn, like, we're just, we're like my dog. Like, we're just like attuned to everything, like what's happening. And we're, we're paying attention to people's reactions. If I smile, if I don't smile. And so on a level, we don't even really realize on a level, we don't even really understand we are intuitively tuning into other people's reactions and doing things to, to create those reactions. So what I want to say in response to your question is I get it. And, you know, probably you, me, and everyone else, right? We're, we're all kind of doing that to some degree. So I don't want you to get stuck in your head. I don't want you to, I don't want you to need to overthink it. But try to be as authentic as you possibly can. And I think here's the catch. Here's how you know. It's not so much about what you share, but it's about what you don't share. And so if you're only sharing certain things and then maybe you're sharing freely and then you have a certain thought and you're like, oh no, I don't want to share that. Well, now you know you're curating someone's perception of you, right? Because there are certain things that you're 
willing to divulge and certain things that you're not willing to divulge. And what that means is that you're afraid these things would skew their perception of you in a certain way. And so if you want to have real meaningful connection, and I love this question because we're really getting to the heart of it here. If you want to have real meaningful connection, you share the things you don't want to share too. And you let that person see you for who you truly are and give them the opportunity to love you as you are, not just this version of you that you've curated for them. Right? So that is, that is, I think, how you know. It's not in what you share. You can share openly, share freely, as long as it's true and honest for you, it's okay. But when you start paying attention to what you don't share, that's, that's going to give you some insight into how deep your relationships really are. And if the people who love you, do they love you for you? Or do they just love you because of who you've made them think you are? So awesome question. Thank you so much for bringing that up. So Angelou says, unfortunately, relationships have come to determine our mood. Everything determines your mood. Relationships, work, friends, family, what you see on the news, societal conditions, being at war. Like, I mean, like all this stuff determines your mood. Like we, we are affected by the world around us and we also have power, right? So I, I think like, and I've seen a few of your comments today and I'm going to be honest with you, like your, your perception on this stuff is, is kind of defeating because like, yes, relationships affect your mood. Relationships and everything else affect your mood. But that doesn't mean you have no power. That doesn't mean you have no influence in your own experience of life. Right? And so the, the conversation that we're in today, like if, and I, I know you've been with me for a while here, so you should have been picking up on what we're talking about. Like the conversation we're in today is that there is a scientific method based on research and data to create happiness in your life. And there are scientifically things that contribute to happiness and scientifically things that don't. And the reason I'm even having this conversation is to illuminate that no matter how you feel, you have some power in how you feel. And even if you're depressed or sad or lonely or any of that right now, even if your relationship has you down, there are very specific steps you can take backed by research and science that will improve your mood and lead to more happiness in your life. So if you just want to sit there and tell me that relationships affect my mood and there's nothing I can do about it, then fine. Be right about it. I don't care. Like I don't need to argue with you about it. But what I'm telling you is that there are very specific things you can do that's backed by research on millions of people. The Harvard University has been leading these studies for decades. So I don't think you're powerless about it. If you think you are and you're not open to a new possibility, then I'm sending you love and good luck with that. But if you want to have some power in it, it is available. And that's the message I have for you today. So I think I'm going to close out with that today. Um, thank you so much for everyone being with me today. It's, it's been, uh, been wonderful. I was really excited to speak into this topic as it's just, I think it's so important and, and so essential. And, and I truly feel that like we, we've all been hoodwinked, 
You know, like we've we've been we've been sold a version of life that makes us unhappy so that people can fill their pockets. Like, I mean, like it's, it's so fucked up when you think about it, like, like from the top down, every, like we have been convinced to look for happiness where we cannot find it so that people can get rich. It's, it's absolute insanity. And like, we, we deserve to be happy. And the way to happiness is to examine your own value system and start to truly value things that are life-affirming versus life-destroying. That's not an easy thing to do. But if you do that and you're relentless about it, you will be happy. So that's the message for today. Sending so much love to all of you. Thank you so much for being with me. I'll see you back here next Tuesday. Take care. Lots of love, everybody. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.